What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods here, back with y'all with another episode, man. We are headed to the Pac-12 as this week we're wrapping up our Power 5 previews, our college football previews. Pac-12 tonight, SEC on Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central Time. Catch us live right now and on Wednesday on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, man. So make sure to check us out there. But, Brandon, let's waste no time getting into the Pac-12, man. We got two big storylines we got to cover before we get into our predictions, game to watch, players to watch, all that. And it's the Pac-12 has a new commissioner. And it's been a long time coming. Larry Scott made a lot of questionable decisions, to say the least, at his time um, as Pac-12 commissioner. So for you, what, what do you think his top priority is right now? Do you think it has to do with the TV deal that hasn't necessarily worked out very well for the Pac-12? Is it getting these games into better time slots? What would you like to see this new Pac-12 commissioner move to the top of his list? I think it absolutely has to be the better time slots. I, I mean, you and I like to come on here, and ever since the beginning of this podcast, it's been kind of a joke, and, and kind of a joke. That Kind of is like the main word there about Pac-12 after dark and, oh, we love seeing these games, you know, so late. Like, we're watching games at, what, like midnight central time yeah. sometimes? So, like, that's tough on us, and that's tough for the East Coast, and I understand that's just like a normal time slot if you're on the West Coast. So I totally understand that. But why not shoot for more games, like, and not even necessarily like noon games because they do have some games at like 11 o'clock central for some reason. So they're just playing at 9 a.m. on the West Coast. I feel like you have to gun for more games right there in the middle of the day, more primetime games. I'm talking like 5 o'clock Pacific time, so that would be like 7 o'clock Central, Zach. 8 o'clock Eastern, that is prime time. And you have the teams to do it. I mean, you have the Oregon States, the Washington, uh, USC, and even Arizona State. So, like, you have teams that people want to watch. You know, you and I, I know we're crazy people, and we like to watch football even when football's not on. Like like I've, like I've been saying on every single live stream so far, I've just been going back watching games. Like it doesn't even have to be like an LSU game. It could just be any game. If I find it on YouTube or wherever, I'm just going to go through and watch that game. Uh, I can't remember which game I watched the other day, but it was just something totally off the wall. But they, they have games people want to watch, people that even aren't us. So why not shoot for that better time zone? ESPN would eat that up. I, and, I mean, especially with the resurgence of teams like Oregon. In Washington, uh, with them growing in popularity again, I, I think that that's an attainable goal for them. And I mean, also, I, I would also like to see so when they have those big games, when the Michigan's, the Ohio State's, like they have those games, and it's a home and home. Clearly, Ohio State and Fox didn't care about the fans in Oregon because that game kicks off at 11 a.m. Eastern time, I believe, or, or Central time, which yeah. is like 9 a.m. So Oregon, Ohio State kicks off at 9 o'clock for Oregon fans. So why don't you return the favor? When Ohio State returns that home and home, why doesn't that kick off at 7 p.m. Pacific time? Yeah. Put that in prime time for your fans then. Also, like I just if you're the Pac-12, the number one thing you have to do is fight for equity. They haven't done that. Larry Scott just set by as all these other conferences passed up the Pac-12 in terms of TV revenue, in terms of recruiting, in terms of everything like that. The biggest thing for this new commissioner to do is fight for the Pac-12 and fight for your product, which is something Larry Scott never did. 
And also, just try. I think that's what we're getting with the alliance is get in with some of these other conferences. Make sure your strength to schedule is there, which it is. Make sure that you're getting in front of other recruits, which they are, and you're seeing Oregon's recruiting skyrocket, man. I mean, they're going to have another probably top six class for the second straight year. USC has landed two huge five stars and are is putting together an outstanding 2022 and 2023 class. So the recruiting's going that way. The biggest thing I want to see is fighting for that equity, making sure the scheduling's there, making sure the TV deals are there. The Pac-12 network has been an atrocity, to say the least. So I would like to see that restructured, that rebranded, maybe even relaunched branding, because I figured since they launched it after the Big Ten and SEC network that they would get the kinks worked out. They butchered it. I mean, I mean, that's not even available in most, I guess, I guess most cable packages. Brandon, when's the last time you remember turning on the Pac-12 network? I got to be honest with you, Zach. I didn't know it was a thing until you just mentioned it because I, I just didn't know. I'd always Pac-12 on ESPN late at night. And that was just where I watched it or ABC or wherever. Uh, man, I, and listen, I mean, for me, the pack that's the biggest thing for Pac-12 is exposure, 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 and fighting for that equity. So those are the two biggest things that I want to see. And so, Brandon, that mo- moves us perfectly into our next segment, which is should the Pac-12 reconsider expansion or not expanding? So, guys, I don't know if you've heard our guy that we've had on the show, John Kurtz, we've had him twice, is one of the sports directors in here in Manhattan, Kansas, for K-State football. He's one of the most plugged-in guys for the Big 12. And what he's heard with this alliance is the Pac-12 now is sitting still. They're not looking to add any of the leftover Big 12 teams. They're not looking to recruit anybody. And one source even told him that a Pac-12 you know, AD or someone said that adding any of the leftover Big 12 teams added no value to the Pac-12. So, Brandon, do you think that's a good decision, or do you think the Pac-12 should reconsider expansion? And if they do, what teams would you like to see them realistically add to the conference? I absolutely think they should consider expansion. You know, after you know, right after the Big 12, who's going to be left with eight teams, the Pac-12 is going to be the second smallest conference. And I don't only think that the Pac-12 should be pulling for this. I don't think that they're the only ones. I think the ACC and uh, – the ACC and Big or Big Ten should also be pulling for this because they're in that alliance. They're in that alliance that has, uh, I think right now, 64 teams uh, that mm-hmm. vote on matters. Why not pull a few more teams into that, Zach? Uh, and as for teams that they should go for, I think the first most obvious choice here is BYU. I think you have to go for BYU. I know they're independent right now, so I'm not sure if they'd go for it. But I think that you should definitely try it, uh, and if nothing else, like this, shit, that brings that great rivalry between them and Utah to the table. And it, it I mean, geographically, it just makes sense, right? Not only that, Zach, I think they should, I think they should be gunning for uh, Boise State as well, um, and maybe a few of the of the Big Twelve teams. I think maybe, uh, I, I think I think Oklahoma State would be a good team to go for because if you don't go for them. I know the SEC says they're not uh, they're not that they're not looking to expand anymore, but Oklahoma you State can't trust you. You can't trust the SEC with anything nowadays. Well, you can't. And Oklahoma State's definitely looking to follow Oklahoma. I, like, that's just. I mean, I, I'm not going to say it's a fact, but it's very close to a fact. Like they are going to want to follow Oklahoma to keep this rivalry alive. 
I mean, there was even state legislator in Oklahoma saying that they that they had to play every single season. Like that was the thing. It was just crazy that you think that their you know their Senate would go as far as to pass that bill, but it happened. Um, but I think those are the two teams that I'd go for the most. Maybe Oklahoma State, maybe a Kansas State or Kansas for basketball, something like that. I, the only team that I think is off the table from the Big Twelve, at least, Zach, it's gonna be Texas Tech. I hate to say that, but like, really, what does Texas Tech bring to the table? Uh, I feel you. I mean, so I do think they, they should reconsider. And, Brandon, my list is completely different if they do reconsider. My number one candidate, is, you know, is weird. TCU would be my number one candidate. Okay. And I would want TCU to come along with Boise State. So if we're only adding two teams, I think TCU and Boise State should be those two teams. One, TCU's history already in the Rose Bowl would kind of add to that, like, okay, we already, like, you would add to that legacy of the Pac-12 and the Rose Bowl wins and things like that. So you could add TCU there. One, it would also help with your defensive perception issue because everyone knows TCU is about defense. And Gary Patterson in the Pac-12 would fit perfectly. And I think it would, one, increase your coaching presence, and two, also bring you into the state of Texas where that's a huge, huge plus for all your Pac-12 schools in terms of recruiting. And then I like Boise State because you bring back that TCU-Boise State kind of Mountain West feel. Also, it fits geographically. And really and truly, Brandon, outside of, you know, all of these teams were added, who has a more historic past than Boise State out of the teams we're talking in recent college football history. I mean, Boise State since like 2002 has been the best team out of all these options that we're considering. So I like Boise State and um, and, and also TCU. The other interesting one I would like to maybe like to see considered is Baylor, Brandon. And if we're ta- if so, I know we're a college football podcast, but if we expand out to other sports, but have the number one women's basketball program almost year in and year out, you would have the defending champions on the men's basketball team, and the football program has had some highs. Dave Aranda had a tough year last year due to COVID, but yeah, it it, it was a low year, but really and truly Baylor would add a lot of value in other sports as well. And uh, I think K-State, Kansas be interesting basketball, but I think those are better geographical fits for the Big Ten. Plus you could bring back that Nebraska, Kansas, those type of games that you got in like the old Big 12. So I I like TCU and Boise State as my number one and two. We got a comment here. Sadly, the Pac-12 thinks they're better than that. They're going to find out differently. If you aren't planning to win, you're you're planning to fail. That's a fact. And so let's get to our official preview here, Brandon. Let's let's get to the top games to watch. Now, we started a thing last episode because it kind of got crazy on our first few previews. So we're going to do conference and non-conference. So, Brandon, let's start with non-conference Pac-12 games that are really going to impact you know, how the Pac-12 turns out. So what's your first non-conference game that you're looking forward to the most? It has to be Oregon-Ohio State. I mean, that was the first game I mentioned for the Big Ten preview as well. That's just a game that I think a lot of people are looking forward to. Yeah, Ohio State's pretty highly favored in this game, but it's going to be two teams. I mean, Ohio State is, is favored to win the Big Ten, and Oregon's up there in the Pac-12. So I, I think this is going to be a battle of these two conferences. Yeah, I think we know who's going to win, and unfortunately, I have to say that in this Pac-12 preview. But Oregon State can prove us wrong. I mean, they are going uh, into Columbus, and that's always daunting. But it's a home-and-home, so we'll see Ohio State back in Oregon, like you mentioned earlier, uh, next season. 
It's going to be a really fun game to watch, though, Zach, and it comes really early in the season. It's week two, uh, September 11th. So I, I'm looking forward to that yeah. one. And I'll build right off of it because that was one of them. And also that's a huge test for one C.J. Stroud on the Big Ten side. And also I think that is Anthony Brown's whole, like, act. Can he – his whole job security is on that is on the line in that game. If you go out there and lay an egg like he has at times in big games at Boston College, Ty Thompson is the guy moving forward. You have to just say, okay, what's our ceiling with Anthony Brown? And that's going to be a big test. Also, Brandon, that same week, there's two games I want to talk about. One is Washington, Michigan, September 11th, going into the big house. And two, Colorado versus Texas A&M is another one I really like. And so I'll take Washington, Michigan first. One, Jim Harbaugh's job is on the the board. That is pinned, and it's waiting. It's it's just going to be – if he loses, take it off, throw it in the trash because it's over. I mean, let's just be honest. If Michigan – because, Brandon, I I think the odds of Michigan getting their doors blown off is more likely than them actually winning this game. And that's – I know that might sound crazy, but I don't see how Michigan – with Alan Bowman possibly being quarterback, maybe you have Kay McNamara starting. How the five-star J.J. McCarthy isn't even getting a shot is beyond me. But you got two unproven quarterbacks going up against one of the best defensive minds in college football in Jimmy Lake. That defense for Washington is going to be something serious, which I'll get into later in the show. If Michigan goes in there and isn't even competitive, Brandon, how do you justify Harbaugh keeping his job? You absolutely can't. And I know that I was on the train of, oh, you can't fire Jim Harbaugh. Tables have turned. I, I think if you go three seasons in a row the way that Jim Harbaugh has been treating this job, he has to be off. I mean, like, he has to be gone, right? Uh, if he's not, I don't know what he could do to get fired. He might as well just say he's got a lifetime contract if, if this year he underperforms in these days. And then also, Brendan, on the flip side, this is a big test for the Pac-12 non-conference. How, you know, with the hit, you know what everyone goes to. I'm an Auburn fan, and I've heard it. But the fact that Auburn, who didn't win the division either year, beat the Pac-12 champion to start the season is such a bad look. Yeah. And to get a huge win for a team that is going to compete for the Pac-12 title, to go out there and beat a team like Michigan is going to help the Pac-12's resume when it comes to college football playoff time. To have that win and say, we had a team that – may or may not win the conference that went out there and beat a, a, a Big Ten team on the road in an early, early season matchup. So that will be a huge one. And then Colorado, Texas, and Brent, I know you're probably – everyone's like, how in the world is that a game? Colorado was 3-1 and one last year, and if their USC game got canceled due to COVID, if they beat USC, Brandon, they go to the Pac-12 championship. Yeah, that's true. So uh, Colorado is not going to be a scrub – and you're looking at Texas A&M with this quarterback battle, Brandon, and a lot of questions surrounding that, you know, what's going to happen with Jimbo Fisher and his offense. If Colorado can pull the upset off, Brandon, do you want to – I think that might be the biggest win in, like, the past few years for the Pac-12. If a team like Colorado can upset A&M, who's probably going to compete for the SEC West. So that's why I have that one. Plus, A&M comes to Colorado – Brandon, so that's a big, big game for that city. And then, of course, we have UCLA-LSU, September 4th. 
Brandon, this is a big game for Chip Kelly. Uh, his We have been super critical of him on this podcast. We don't really know what he's going to bring this year. He probably has his best UCLA team in his tenure at UCLA. Dorian Thompson-Robinson's back. The, the running back room is a question mark due to Demetrius Felton leaving. But the offensive line, D-line, secondary could be there. My thing here is, LSU's coming off a historically bad defensive year, a five and five year. If UCLA get, goes out there and, you know, LSU goes over to LA and blows them out, huge loss for the Pac 12. That's a black stain on their resume. But as long as, for me, Brandon, UCLA doesn't have to win this game for it to be a win for the Pac 12. Just be competitive. Because I don't think there's a lot of people who think UCLA is going to be competitive against LSU because of the hype surrounding LSU this year, let's be honest, has gotten just to a maximum level. I mean, you had uh, our guy Blake Ruffino on um, like NOLA television saying that this team has the aura of the 2019 team. So me off, dude. It really is. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, that makes me so mad. You can't do that. You can't go out here and say, oh, and I don't mean to turn this into this, but that's making me so mad how many people are so hyper you. Like, don't get that hype yet. And, I mean, I think this is a huge statement. I mean, if UCLA can pull off this upset, I mean, you're talking about an interesting, one, Pac-12 race developing, and two, Coach O has every side on L- and in Baton Rouge, and maybe the state of Louisiana looking at him if he loses to UCLA week one. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, huge, and it's a big road trip, and people forget traveling those long distances can even out a game to a point where you're not really thinking about it, and especially because it's early. And LSU has some positions that are very young, but the but I think it's a very good matchup week one brings. I think Dorian Thompson-Robinson is going to be a great matchup for that LSU D-line because he's mobile. And also, I also like what Max Johnson brings. And can that UCLA secondary keep up with the LSU a core of wide receivers? So this game has so many storylines. And then the last one I want to touch, Brandon, is USC Notre Dame. Always yeah. a game I look forward to. This Okay, I'm just going to say it and we're going to move on because we've spent a lot of time on this. It is imperative on October 23rd that USC wins this game. Yeah. If yeah. you lose to Notre Dame this year, man, I, I don't know what the time. I mean, that because especially if USC goes on and wins the Pac-12, no chance at the playoffs. Like not even they won't even sniff it because there's no way Notre Dame with a brand new quarterback who has a lot of questions and also all the questions on the offensive line, the defensive line should go in there and beat a USC team that's returning per almost every major contributor from last season. Right. It just sh- shouldn't happen. If you don't beat Notre Dame this year, it, it, it's a whole problem for USC in my opinion. But Brandon, let's get to the conference games. Go over some of the conference games that you picked for the Pac-12 this year? I think the most important conference game of the season is going to be Oregon and Washington. And it always is, Zach. This is always one of the most important games in the Pac-12. It's probably the best rivalry in the Pac-12. One of the best rivalries in the country, no doubt. Um, this game is going to be so important this season, Zach, because it comes it comes in November 6th, so it's really late in the season. And this might determine – not might. This will determine – the Pac-12 North, whoever wins this game, because I think both of these teams will be playing fairly well at this point in the season. Um, I'm not going to say they're going to be undefeated at this point in the season, but they're going to be neck and neck. Um, and the winner of this game, I'm going to go ahead and call it, is going to win the Pac-12 North. There's no, there's no question about it. 
So that's that is probably the most important game in the Pac-12 this season. Uh, I love it, November six, and you know I'll stick with that date. Yeah. I also think you, USC Arizona State that day. Uh-huh. I mean, you you could have two divisions figured out on the same day for the Pac-12. Yeah. Sure. I mean. Arizona State came like one play from beating USC Week One last year. Um, in my, I mean, in my opinion, I, I think USC Arizona State could be a, even a more competitive game than Washington Oregon because I think Oregon might be just a little bit better than Washington. But Arizona State, to me, Brandon, I know we're going to get into it later. Is this such a hard team to predict? Because any day something could happen with that incidentally investigation, and then what? We just we don't know who their quarterback might be. Like, there's so much playing into Arizona State, and also, how connected is that team? They're returning a lot of starters, but they've went through a lot of turmoil this offseason. So, has it brought the team closer together, Brandon, or has it torn, like tore it apart? That's my biggest question with Arizona State. But that's a very important one. But I also want to get to one that I think people are overlooking. That's a UCLA USC November twentieth last year. That game came down to the wire. I believe it was an overtime game, one of the last weeks of the season. UCLA almost pulled the upside. They were like one or two plays off. Personally, I think this this might determine the South, Brandon. I know this kind of sounds crazy, and we'll get into UCLA a little bit later, but I really like this matchup this year. I think that swagger that UCLA was showing late in the season last year could carry over. I think UCLA-USC could play a bigger role in determining the Pac-12 champion than a lot of people are giving credit for. Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right, Zach. Uh, no, okay, so I meant, I meant undefeated in conference. I didn't, I didn't mean undefeated all together. And I didn't say undefeated. I said neck and neck. So I, I know I did it first. Uh, yeah. That's, that's our guy, Mo. I know he's a big Ohio State guy. He was not having that. And, you know, Brandon, I want to cover the last two games real, real quick before we move on to players to watch. Uh, also, I'm looking at very closely Colorado and Utah, November 26th. I think that's going to play a big role in determining who's going to be the number one challenge in the South Division. Uh, who's, who can really challenge USC and Arizona State in that South Division? Colorado-Utah is an interesting matchup. It's going to be a defensive battle. I love what both of these teams are bringing. And then on the flip side, Cal-Stanford is that matchup for the South Division, in my opinion. I mean, the North Division, in my opinion. I think Cal versus Stanford is going to be a very good game. I think both teams have a lot of questions surrounding important positions. But that game is really going to determine who's going to finish in the top half of that division and who might fall down to the irrelevant teams at the bottom half of the North Division. So I really like Cal versus Stanford as well. But let's get to our players to watch here, Brandon. This one... I, I kind of I'll let you kick it off, but I kind of got it a little carried away, Brandon. I hope you have some offensive players because all my players are defensive players. So uh, just all, a heads up, all my players are offensive players. This kind of works. Hey, this, this is this is why we're co-hosts, man. This is why it works well. I'll let you kick it off, man. All right, man. I'm gonna go ahead and start with a player that you guys probably heard of from last season, but he might not be like number one on your radar. That's gonna be Rashad White out of Arizona State. Um, he's a junior running back. And, Zach, the biggest stat line that I saw on him was that he was the only running back last season to average 10 yards a carry. Like, how wild is that, first of all? That's nuts. We're not talking about, like, oh, he had had two carries and one of those was for 20 yards. No. He had 42 touches, 420 yards in four games, Zach. So he averaged – 
Yeah, in his first two games, he had over he had over 150 yards each game. So he kind of slumped off toward the end of the season. He scored all five of his touchdowns in those first two games. Uh, but it's going to be super exciting to watch Zach. Uh, not only did he have those uh, those yards rushing, he also had eight receptions for 151 yards. So this guy's averaging 19 yards a catch as well. He's just a dual threat guy. He can uh, he can he can run the ball. He can catch the ball. And he's going to be a huge threat alongside Jaden Daniels on this Arizona State offense. Oh, man. I, I love that pick, man. And they had some very strong running backs toward the end of the year. I mean, yeah. when they, I believe it was what, like 60 something to nothing or something like that, they beat Arizona and they just ran it like right down their throats. And I mean, I guess it's Arizona. So, like, I guess you could put as much weight into that as possible. They, they, they were the, they, I think they were the most efficient run game in the Pac-12 last year, Brandon, with Arizona State because of – personally because of the offensive line and Jaden Daniels being so dynamic with his feet. But I love that pick. And, you know, for me, I'm going to go Michael Wright from Oregon, defensive back. I've been a huge fan of this kid for a long time, and I know Brandon's probably like, yes, you've mentioned him every time we talk about Oregon. But – Brandon, he had a, a very impressive freshman season for me. Uh, I love what he did his freshman year. But last year, he showed like he seemed to either be impacted by COVID and showed some inconsistency in which I think a lot of those opt-outs put a lot more pressure on him. And he didn't get as much help in the secondary as he thought he was really going to get. And with his elite speed, Brandon, it makes him a problem in one-on-one situations. When he's playing press man, Brandon, he had the second highest coverage grade in the country mm-hmm. in press man coverage just because people can't get by him, and he just has the speed to pretty much toy with you. As soon as he gets his hips flipped around, he's outrunning you no matter where you're going. And his freshman season, Brandon, as a true freshman starting at Oregon, only allowed eight total catches and held quarterbacks to a 28.4 passer rating. You have a better passer rating just throwing the ball away every time. Yeah. I mean, outstanding. And 48 total tackles, 13 pass breakups in his first two seasons at Oregon. And, Brandon, the other reason I like him, I'm a huge – I love special teams, man. It's the most electric play. Like, if you get a kick return, it changes the whole game. Michael Wright averages almost 30 yards a kick return, Brandon, and had two kick return touchdowns his freshman year. And this year at Oregon, Brandon, they finally get right back. Bennett Williams steps in at safety. Jamal Hill uh, steps back in at corner. And they return Verone McKinley the third in the secondary. All these guys gained a lot of experience due to all the opt-outs Oregon had last year. This Oregon secondary is going to return to its peak performance. I, I, I love this Oregon defense, man, and I really think Michael Wright is going to be the key to Oregon returning to the to his defensive dominance we saw two years ago. And that's such a dynamic defense, too, because it's it's not only him; it's probably the best defensive player in the country in Kayvon Thibodeau. They've got Noah Sewell. I mean, they've got they've got as many players as you can count. Like like all Pac-12 defense might just be their starting like defense. So that 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 is a super great choice, Zach. Uh, I'm gonna go on with my second choice here, um, and you already mentioned him earlier in this episode. But Dorian Thompson Robinson, dude, this is going to be the season because last year, Zach. He, and he's been good. He's been good over his first three seasons. But last year, he took a giant leap forward, in my opinion, at least. Um, he went from averaging right around 59% completion percentage in his first two seasons to 65 last year, Zach. That's a 6% uh, jump in that. 
And he, and not only that, but the most important thing to me is that he finally started utilizing his mobility. Like he's always had that ability to move around in the pocket to scramble. And he's just never really done it. Over his first two seasons, he averaged right around one yard per carry. Uh, I, I guess sacks really play into that. This UCLA offensive line isn't the greatest. The last season, Zach, he had more rushing yards than he's had over his first two seasons. He rushed. He had 55 carries for 306 yards, three touchdowns. I mean, he's averaging six yards a carry. So this guy can really get it done with his legs, and he just hasn't shown us that to this, to this point. Uh, last season, he also had 156.3 passer rating, which is unreal. I, I mean, that, that that's just a wild number, especially for him. I mean, because he's hovered right around 100 for his first two seasons. Then to make that jump to 156.3 is just outstanding. 12 touchdowns to four interceptions last year. Um, 1,120 yards passing, 8.1 yards per pass. The guy's making giant leaps forward already, and I think this season we're really going to see him break out of his shell. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he came out as the offensive MVP in the in the um, uh, in the Pac-12 this season. I know Keaton Slovis is right there in the same city, even, but Dorian Thompson Robinson. There's something about him. He's so explosive, and he's such a playmaker. I, I really think that he has the possibility to get the job done. I, I mean, I agree with you. And I mean, when you look at what Dorian Tops Robinson brings, it's just the versatility to get out in space and he can throw outside. He, when, once he gets out of the pocket, he can make just about any throw. The only yeah. thing I want to see is just his decision-making keep increasing. Last year, even though his interceptions were low, he still threw in double coverage a lot of the times. He threw in tight coverage. He's just that gunslinger that he's not afraid to put it into a tight window, and I love that to a point, but you got to be smart with it. And I think a few of those DBs, so they come down with the ball, we could be having a different conversation. But I love what he's bringing. I think another year in Chip Kelly's system, he's only going to take a step forward. So I definitely think he'll be an underrated player to look for for that Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. And, you know, I, I, I told you I got all defensive guys. Devin Lloyd for Utah is probably a name that we might be the only channel on YouTube or, you know, streaming that, like, has mentioned this guy's name. But for me, watching his highlights, man, and watching what he can bring to this Utah defense, he's one of the most versatile linebackers in the entire country. I think he's a sleeper for Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. And, Brandon, looking at his, like, where he lined up, he played multiple snaps at off-the-ball linebacker, edge rusher, free safety, and even moved out to slot defensive back. So he can play so many different positions, which allows this defense for Utah to be so versatile in what they call and what they scheme up, and they can put Devin Lloyd in the best spot to make the biggest impact in these big games. Over 145 tackles, 21 for loss, eight and a half sacks. Brandon, he was top five in the Pac-12 in tackles, tackles for loss, and he was top 10 in sacks. I love what he brings. And when he he ranked fifth in the country in terms of off-the-ball linebackers and was sixth in run run defensive grade and also second in run stop rate for, for the whole country, Brandon. And I think he's a dark horse for the Buckets Award. There's been a little bit of talk about him being the new leader of this Utah defense. So I think I think Devin Lloyd is a name that you know people don't know yet but should by the end of the season. I really like what he brings to this Utah defense. Yeah, I agree with you, Zach. I've got two more I want to mention real quick, and I'll go ahead and throw them both here because I don't have, I don't have a ton to say about them yet, especially the second one. But my first uh, my first pick here, 
Bryce's third pick. But first pick for this segment or for the section is going to be Drake London, um, the USC wide receiver. He's going to be wide receiver one on the Trojans offense. Um, he's going to benefit from a great quarterback in Keaton Slovis. Everybody knows how much I love Keaton. Um, but not only that, Zach, he's just going to be that outside deep threat. At 6'5", he plays so long. And last season alone, I mean, he had 502 receiving yards, averaged 15 yards per catch uh, on 33 receptions. So this guy is going to be, I think for sure, I don't think there's any doubt, he's going to be the wide receiver one on this offense. Second guy I want to mention, um, and I had to mention him, is Chris Curry at Utah, <laughs> LSU transfer to Utah. Zach, one thing I found out about him, and I guess I never really realized this, he's never scored a collegiate touchdown, and he's going into his fourth season. So three seasons at LSU, never scored a touchdown. But the thing I want to point out is the one game where he was utilized correctly, and I don't. I think that's where he's kind of struggled. I don't know that his coaching coaching staff has really utilized them uh, to his strengths, and I think his strengths were were really shown in the game against Oklahoma in, in the playoff game at LSU, where uh, where Clyde edwards helaire was hurt. Uh, we saw him put up – what he put up? He put up uh, 90 yards on 16 carries against Oklahoma. I mean, he just ran them up and down the field. Uh, and that's six yards per carry, Zach. So I think he has the potential to be good, especially in this offense that um, is pretty much brand new. Like, they have a new quarterback as well in Charlie Brewer. But uh, Chris Curry is going to be super exciting to watch. I'm, I'm curious to know what he'll do in this Utah offense. Yeah, I mean – I like it, and I mean, for me, as we wrap this segment up here, is I, I, I know I mentioned Michael Wright from Oregon. If there's a DB that can challenge him for the number one, I guess, uh, defensive back uh, award in the Pac-12, it would be Trent McDuffie at Washington. Yeah. And I think he's going to be the number one DB for the Huskies, especially after Elijah Molden heads to the NFL draft. And I think uh, – I, I honestly think McDuffie is going to be the next great Washington defensive back another Jimmy Lake disciple in that back end of the defense. And, you know, there's this stigma on DBs, Brandon. I know everyone knows what I'm talking about, about DBs not being able to tackle. This goes straight to the wayside when you look at someone like McDuffie. Brandon, he's only missed two tackles his entire career. Yeah. I mean – the, 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 that is just, people don't understand how impressive that is when you're out in space like a DB to only miss two tackles attempts your entire career. And he also grades as the second best, um, run defense by a DB by Pro Football Focus as well. And his speed and length helps him be one of the best DBs at stopping the deep ball, Brandon. He, Quarterbacks who threw 20 or plus yards down the field against him were one for eight with an interception. That's such such a high level of making sure you got the ball skills, the speed, the the form, the technique. Everything has to be right for you to be that efficient at guarding against the deep ball. He's also, Brandon, one of only three defensive backs in the country who have a 75 or higher grade by pro football focus in both man coverage and zone coverage. So he's, he can play whatever you want him to play. He can line up different places. He can travel as a DB, which is one of the things I love to see out of a DB. Don't just be a zone corner. Go get the best receiver and shut him down, and that's what McDuffie can do. I, he's not going to receive many targets, Brandon. Last year, only eight targets all season in 2020. And the year before, he was targeted 56 times. 
So he <laughs> shut it down real quick. They learned real quick not to throw it at, at McDuffie. And so I, what I expect for Jimmy Lake to do is, one, put him on the best wide receiver on the field and say, that's your guy, go shut him down, and or scheme him into position to make big plays. So I'm really, really looking forward to seeing how Jimmy Lake schemes McDuffie into his system. I think I think McDuffie is a guy you have to look for to be that sleeper first-round NFL draft pick next year. And right now, him and Michael Wright are the two best DBs in the Pac-12, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I think you might be right, Zach. And, I mean, we got to move on to our sleepers. It's the last segment before we make our official prediction. So, Brent, I'll kick this one off because I've been tossing them to you. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Knew we had the same one. I know we had the same one. Oh, uh, man. So, who, who is yours? I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you call it. It's Colorado. It has to be Colorado. Oh, no. Right? No, oh, no, go ahead. you were wrong. You were wrong. You were so wrong. Way off, way off base there, Brandon. My my sleeper is UCLA. Got the okay. UCLA Bruins here as my sleeper, and I have been one of the most critical loud voices on any podcast, any YouTube channel about how Chip Kelly has underperformed as UCLA's head coach. But I'm so excited for what this team brings to the field this year, brings to the Pac-12. I, like I said earlier, this is the most complete team Chip Kelly has had at UCLA. But consistency has been a problem, Brandon. They can play lights out one week. The next week they come in and lay an egg. So I want to see how consistent UCLA can be this year. And that is the key to their success. And you already mentioned my X factor, which is Dorian Thompson Robinson. If he can take his game to the next level, Brandon, I really think UCLA can make a lot of noise in the Pac-12. Last season, you mentioned he set career highs in QB rating, passer efficiency, yards per attempt, and completion percentage. He's thrown for over 5,000 yards in his career. But when I look when I look at this team, Brandon, my biggest question mark of just terms of who's going to step up is the secondary. They only rank ninth in the Pac-12 in terms of returning production on the uh, in the defensive secondary. Jerry Azzarino, a defensive coordinator, has to find out what they got early. And I think LSU coming in week one is going to be such a great litmus test to where you are in terms of that defensive backfield because Kayshawn Boutte and the boys are not coming to play when they ride into L.A. week one. And I think you're going to find out exactly how good you are and – from there, you can make adjustments because you probably won't see as strong of a wide receiving core as you will when LSU comes into town. But when you look at the defense, Jay Shaw, Cam Johnson are going to be the leaders of the secondary. But outside of Quentin Lake, I don't know what that second safety spot is going to be like. There's yeah. a lot of unproven potential there. But Lake also, that for some reason, Brandon, they won't stick him at safety. He plays a lot of slot corner, but when he plays solely safety – He's fourth in the conference in coverage grade out of everybody. So I, I just want to see those stick like it safety. Shaw and Johnson can man the corner spots, and then they just have to find one more piece for that back end, probably like a nickel-type safety as well. So those are the two biggest things for me for, to determine whether UCLA can make an impact. Defensive line, Mitchell um, Agude is the number one edge rusher returning. He ranked Brandon above Kayvon Thibodeau as an edge rusher last year. He was the number one player in the Pac-12 in terms of pass rushing grade, had 23 tackles, eight for loss, two and a half sacks last year. And the Bruins defensive line is the most underrated part of their team. Brandon, they averaged 3.3 sacks a game last year. 
and also led the Pac-12 in rushing yards allowed per carry with with under 3.6. I think the Bruins can be a team waiting for a spark, and if it gets hot early, especially if that LSU game goes their way, right now I don't know if they're going to be touched for – I don't know. Like that team could get so hot so fast and things to start going downhill for their opponents. And if if it gets hot – I would not be surprised to see UCLA in the Pac-12 championship game. Last year, they were one-two plays from pulling the huge upset to give USC their first loss. This team, like I said, was playing with such a swagger. I think if Chip Kelly's going to get it done, Brandon, it's this year with this UCLA team. Yeah, I I really like that pick, actually. I I like UCLA a lot this season. Um, Obviously, I already yelled out my pick. I've got Colorado. I'm not saying that they're going to be a very like good team win wise this year, Zach, because they have a brutal schedule. Like, have you look? Have you taken a look at their schedule yet? And yeah, it, it's tough. It, it's bad. They get they get Arizona State on the road. They get Oregon on the road, UCLA on the road, and Utah on the road to wrap out the season, Zach. So that's tough. But this yeah. team was a lot better than expected last season, Zach. I think their defense was highlighted by, late, uh, by Nate Landman, obviously. And I think Carson Wells is a really underrated linebacker on this defense uh, as well. But the highlight of this team, Zach, had to be Jarek Broussard. He was the best running back in the conference last season. I don't even think it was close. 895 yards rushing over six games, five touchdowns, six yards per carry. If he has a season that's this good again, this Colorado team, this this offense, I don't know if you can stop them. I really don't. Uh, they will be stopped, especially with these road games at Oregon, at Utah, uh, whatever it is. But if they can steal one of those games, Zach, I, I think that's really a success. If they can take that Utah game, if they can take that Oregon game, really even if they can take that UCLA game, I, all I'm saying here is that this team is going to be a lot better than the record indicates by the end of the season. I've I I no doubt. I, I I like I honestly like that pick, and I also think my honorable mention will be Utah. If I yeah. had to pick another team, and it's only because Kyle Whittingham can never be counted out, man. I love what Kyle Whittingham brings to this team, and trash. also Brandon. Yeah, do what? You talk trash about him. I, 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 I want to hear. Yeah, it. I know, but but like he's a good coach. I just thought they was ranked a little too high. I mean, he's still a top fifteen coach in in the country, which. Always a great thing. And also, their passing game held them back so much last year, Brandon. We know what Todd Jordan was bringing at the running back spot, but their passing game was the second worst efficient attack in the conference. That is not going to win you many games. They bring in Charlie Brewer from Baylor. They bring in Chris Curry at running back. They have a backfield now that I think can compete with the best of them. And Charlie Brewer, when he was in a similar system like this, had a great 2018 season. But then bringing in Larry Fedora in that spread attack, that didn't fit his skill set. And it, his stats really went down over the next few years. I was about, I love, I was about uh, to say, yeah, they were my honorable mention as well. And it's really just going to depend on which Charlie Brewer you get. I think you're right. He's going to benefit from this system. But he was so hit or miss. He was so hit or miss uh, this past season. Even in 2019, he was pretty hit or miss. And he's really good when he's on, but man, it's, it's, it's tough when he's not. Well, in 2018, so if you look at the offense, it was a lot of RPOs and play action. Yeah. And, like, he thrives off of that. If you could just get him some time and, and let him work off that play action RPO game, Charlie Brewer is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. 
But when you're in that spread attack, if you have to let routes develop, you have to make good decisions with the ball. And just doesn't fit what he does well. When you look at him, Matt, when you look at this offense that Andy Ludwig is bringing in, it's going to fit his run first, pass second, more like approach. Where he's, he's, really, good. Good. he's a really good handoff quarterback. <laughs> it's not handoff quarterback. It's just you can't just you can't just let him like shoulder everything. Like he's going to need a little bit of like help in the terms of the run game. And Baylor's run game was not great these past two years, and the weapons weren't there. Brandon, when you look at Utah, they're returning the second best wide receiving unit in the conference, which is way more than what Baylor was returning these past two years. And also. You could tell Brewer can push the ball down the field as he was top 30 in accurate pass rate beyond the line of scrimmage. He can push it down the field if it's there. The question mark for me is, is how is he going to fit in the system and how has he learned it? But Charlie Brewer is a huge upgrade over what they had last year. So if everything goes together for Utah, I have no doubt they can be one of the top teams in the Pac-12. And so I like what they're bringing. And, you know, I know you called me out for talking about Whittingham, but I, I still think he's a great coach. And I, I would say he's a top Pac-12 coach for sure. Just not not number like six or whatever they had him at. You know, that was yeah, I think, yeah, I think they had him like almost top five. And I was like, I, I don't know about that one, Chief. But, guys, it is time for our official predictions. So we're going to put them up here and y'all can give us y'all's thoughts, share your predictions as well. Let's see if this will pop up. So I think that's one of the first times we like disagreed heavily on this um, in terms of who's winning, but um, I'm on the left beat ups on the right. Of course, I have Oregon winning it all this year uh, coming out of the coming out of the North Division. I have Washington second, Stanford third, Cal fourth, Oregon State fifth, Washington State sixth in the West. Uh, in terms of, I mean, not in the West, in the North, in the South, I have USC winning, UCLA second, Arizona State three, Utah four, Colorado five, Arizona six. Brandon has USC winning the Pac twelve, and Oregon winning the North with Washington, Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, Washington State following. And in, in, in the um, in the South, he has USC, Arizona State, Utah, UCLA, Colorado, Arizona. So it looks like our biggest thing is, one, we, um, we don't agree on who wins the Pac-12, and two, I am much higher on UCLA than Brandon is based you on are. these rankings. <laughs> you absolutely are. But so, Brandon, um, so you think you so explain your USC pick. You think this is the year USC gets it done? I think it is. I, you know, I think that uh, Keaton Slowis is too good of a quarterback to be held back. Not only that, I think Clay Helton's been on the hottest seat in the country probably for the past two seasons now. This is going to his third. Uh, he really has something to prove. Uh, this team kind of has, I'd say, a chip on their shoulder just because. I, I, everything I've seen so far, Zach, has Oregon or Washington winning the Pac-12. Like you can go look at almost any article in this country; it's mostly Oregon, some Washington winning the Pac-12. I think UCLA sees themselves being counted out, but I think that they have maybe the best passing game in the Pac-12. They have a solid, uh, solid um, core of receivers, and I don't know, man. I, I just feel something special about this UCLA team this season. Man, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. It, it worries me a little bit that Keaton Slovis would be the best quarterback on the field if Oregon and USC faced off today. It is. Um, 
it's a little bit worrisome. I'm not going to lie to you, but the thing that separates it is I think when you look at the roster from, you know, just from a roster standpoint, I think, I think Oregon wins every single other position for me. Yeah. If you're comparing across the board, I think they got the better core of wide receivers. I think C- I think CJ Verdell is a better running back than anyone USC has. The offensive line's better. Definitely think the D line, the secondary and linebackers are better. I don't think there's even a conversation in terms of who has the better defense. No better, no but, argument whatsoever. Sorry, I what? I, I, <laughs> I mean, okay, so I guess if you like look at outside of Kayvon Thibodeau, USC could have an argument depending. So. The thing for USC that holds them back for me, though, Brandon, is, you know, Drake Jackson, yes, great edge defender, but I don't know if Corey Foreman's going to play. Like, how big how big of a role is Corey Foreman going to play? And outside of Corey Foreman and Drake Jackson, who do they have on the inside of that defensive line? I mean, great questions, all of them. But I, I think Corey Foreman comes in and plays immediately. He's been playing a lot in fall camp. Um I mean, he's Corey Foreman, dude. He was the number one recruit over the uh, this last season. Uh, you can say whatever you want. Oh, he was just a recruit. Brian Barisi was just a recruit. And look what he did at Clemson. So I, I don't think that's a real argument. Um, I'm not saying this, this Southern Cal defense is the greatest in the world. I just think their offense is overpowered. Yes, you're right. C.J. Verdell is probably one of the best running backs. I'd say right behind Broussard at Colorado for best running back in the Pac-12. Uh but I, I don't know. This this USC team has to win at some point, right? They, they've they've been back for three seasons now. I think in my or th- this is going to be the third season coming back. Um, they they have to win. They have to. This is this is they win or Clay Helton's gone. Ah oh, man. So so I mean, it, I think he'll be fine if he gets there. I mean, it depends on how they get beat. The only worry I have about my pick with Oregon is Anthony Brown. That's but, the, because he hasn't. Uh, has he even been officially named starting quarterback yet? I don't think. I don't think. Yeah, he's- I think. I, I think he pretty much has. It's pretty much a foregone well, conclusion. He's going to start week one. Yeah, I, I mean, he's QB one. I think they're still trying to say Thompson is is I guess learning the offense or something. But I have no doubt that if Ohio State blows their doors off week two, I have no doubt that they're putting Ty Thompson in over Anthony Brown. Yeah. And you know, if in my opinion. I guess this is uh, I, this is opinion, but I think if you can win the Pac-12 with Tyler Shaw, you can win the Pac-12 with Anthony Brown. That I mean, that was that was mean. That was really mean. I, mean, I, I just I don't see I don't see Tyler Shaw as like a huge upgrade over Anthony Brown. And also, you saw what Tyler Shaw kind of collapsed down the stretch, and then Anthony Brown was taking over his job. And you know, Anthony Brown scored the first touchdown of the Pac-12 championship. Yeah, against USC. So I, I think Oregon's biggest concern is quarterback, which is the most important position. But, Brandon, if you look at the roster, I mean, it's hard to think that that team can't carry whatever quarterback they have back there to the Pac-12 championship at minimum. No, yeah, there's not a lot of holes. Like, not a lot of holes in this Oregon team. Not really, really the only big hole, I think, it, it has to be quarterback because they're returning all five offensive linemen. Uh, I, I want to say I can't. I think they're returning like ninety-two percent of their of their uh, production from last yeah. season. So that's it's, it's, it's pretty significant, and like a, a lot of that is from Tyler Shaw not coming back. Yeah, which which I mean it it kind of shows you how how powerful this Oregon team is when the quarterback who won the Pac-12 championship decided to transfer out because he didn't his job didn't feel safe. <laughs> that's true. I mean, 
how often do we see a quarterback win a championship and transfer? Not a lot. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not. It's it's honestly not often. So, um, but man, guys, uh, th- these are our official Pac-12 predictions. We're gonna be putting them on social media soon and everything like that, man. But uh, we definitely appreciate y'all tuning in, man. This was been our Pac-12 preview. We I know it's a Monday night. We had to push it up because the season starts Saturday. We had to get these last two in. Tune in Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central Time, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook for our SEC preview. I know a lot of our listeners are pumped for that one, so make sure to tune in there. Make sure to subscribe if you're new. If you're watching over on Twitter, Facebook, make sure to retweet or share the stream, everything like that, man. And also come over to YouTube and subscribe because that's where you can get all the big, all the Blue Bloods content that we post. And I promise you're going to want to be subscribed for the season. We have so much content coming your way. We're in the works for new things. We're going to put some things in place coming up starting later this week, so stay tuned for that. But, guys, we'll be back tomorrow morning with another fall camp update. We might, may or may not have a special episode. We'll have to see. But, guys, for the Blue Bloods, for B-Dub and myself, we are out.